Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Back to the show, everybody. Hashing it out. I am your host, as always, Dr. Corey Petty. With you, my host, my co-host, Colin Couchet. Say what's up, everybody, Colin. What's up, everybody, Colin? Today's episode, uh, Austin Griffith is here with us, the creator of the Burner Wallet, a very notable project in the space right now, something very useful and uh, going quite rapidly. Uh, Also a man of many talents, does a bunch of things. So why don't we pass it on over to you? Give us a quick introduction as to kind of how you got started in the space and what you work on and uh, why you're here. What up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I got into space building games, actually. I started building a couple of little games, and uh, I loved it. And I spent months head, heads down making this hand-painted game. And then uh, at the end of those months, I launched it and nobody gave a shit. <laughs> so it taught me a lot about both iterative process and also that you can't just kind of, um, you can't expect users to have ETH and understand gas and have all that onboarding. So then I kind of moved into that world of onboarding and UX. And I spent a lot of time learning about meta transactions and eventually burner wallets. And that kind of brings us brings us to today where uh, I, I'm just trying to drive forward as much adoption and onboarding as I can with things like games and burner wallets and making it easy for users to use this awesome technology of ours. And one of the efforts you have in 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 huh, one of the the things you're doing in effort for this is you're actually producing a lot of really high quality video content that in detail explains the process and the thought process behind what you're building and illustrates it and show it, shows it actually working. So it's like a live demo and if things mess up, you go, well, that's what I need to change. But you know, you still like explain why and where the issues are. And I think that's really a unique approach that most people don't take the time to do. Everybody wants a spit and polished kind of a way of doing things, but you're spit and polished in a way that shows the evolution of what you're doing. And I think that's a really interesting social media approach to engaging, and it's been very effective for you. Your, your videos have trended quite a bit, um, and it's helped the burner wallet uh, a lot. Um, what made you decide to go with that approach, just out of curiosity, as somebody who's a you know, social media creator, I guess, at this point? Like, what, what made you take that more relaxed um, engaged approach with your audience. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, I, I guess um, I started by just doing it. It's interesting. I think a lot of this actually, the, a lot of this answer sort of relies on my tech stack and Clevis and apparatus. So I built a few um, so, sort of orchestration and, and um, DAP building scaffolding app sort of. So I, I wanted to be able to just dive in and be able to hit a hackathon with hit the ground running and not have a bunch of stuff that I have to do that wrestles with the blockchain. I wanted to be able to focus on the app. So 
in making those games back in the day, I kind of learned that um, I didn't exactly like truffle as much and it wasn't, it didn't work the way I wanted it to. And there were things missing with, with building a DAP. And so I, I kind of made my own tech stack uh, with Clevis and Dapparatus where I don't have to worry about all that stuff. It has, you know, compile, deploy, and and also inject those contracts into the the react components and i have like a, a contract loader and an event parser and all the things that you need to build the app all ready to go so i can just focus on building the app so i started by just basically doing screencasts of how to use clevis and apparatus but i think to, to really answer your question of of iteration and kind of raw screencasting Thanks, thanks to Clevis and Apparatus, I think I can really dive into a problem pretty quickly. Like the Moloch is a great example. I just kind of grabbed the Moloch, pasted it into my tech stack, and just built a sandbox in a couple of days that you can just kind of have a Moloch down play with. Like it, it's not a polished UI. It's not perfect. It's it looks pretty gross, but but my my stack allows me to kind of quickly iterate, just like throw in some buttons and let them those buttons talk to the smart contracts. And then after doing that a few times, I kind of just like you said, have a pretty raw process. But I've just done a lot of screencasts, and I, I try to get it on the first take as as many times as possible. And and you know what's funny is that even like I've, I've seen a couple where like I think the early. Uh, burner wallet video i think you ran into a couple issues where like something happened you didn't expect i think there was like an uh leftover eth value in one of the um in one of the dot x die uh amounts and it was like sub cents but it was enough to pay for the gas cost and you thought it would reject the transaction it totally didn't and then like threw off your whole script but you went with it and but in the process it really actually showed something about not just what you're doing the testing process but also like some of the limitations of x die and like that kind of stuff so uh um, and I, so I thought it was really actually useful to see that. And I think it's useful to show that process to people because they always, I think a lot of people get discouraged when things don't work right the first time and you just show how to roll with it. So I really appreciate that work. Um, and, and this also kind of brings me into something else. I think it's foundational for what you're doing and what you're really presenting. Uh, we just had Nick Kunkel from uh, uh, MakerDAO on the show. We, he had a two-part series talking about uh, MakerDAO uh, die and maker token. Um, one of the things I'm actually, cause I haven't personally deep dived into this that much as, uh, um, is what is the difference between X die and, and die? And why did you build a wallet, a burner wallet for X die and not just directly die? Great. Yeah, that was a good question. So the basically think of like Ethereum as like the native token and then die as like an ERC 20 that runs on Ethereum, right? So then let's take an entire copy of that and set it next to it. So then think of you've got Ethereum and then you have DAI and you lock up that ERC 20 and then there's a bridge that then mints you some XDAI on the other side. And XDAI is like the Ethereum of this other network. So you're paying gas and you're deploying contracts with XDAI. So you lock up DAI, you get XDAI and then XDAI is like the Ethereum of that new network. What new network? Does that make sense? So, so that would be like the side chain, the side. If you use a POA so like network, right? Copy. Uh, it's it's made by POA, but it's not POA proper. It's it's XDAI, which which is a, a POA run network, which it's like DPOS or like P yeah DPOS sort of right, where it's like a bunch of validators that are validating the blocks. 
Oh, is it? It's DPoS, so it's not proof of authority or anything like that. It's, it's, I, it, actually, it actually is like proof of autonomy or something like that. Oh, but I think Igor and those guys are slowly moving toward making it like one of the first DPoS. Uh, oh. There's like Honey Badger BFT. Okay, I, there's there's a lot of technical <laughs> a lot details. Of consensus I, I, like, <laughs> yeah, everybody's just playing with that space at the moment, trying to find the ideals. All right, um, let's make like this the, make this back it up a little bit. Um, okay, what's Burner? What is a Burner wallet? Why is it useful? Why did you create it? And um, what's its like main use case? What are its limitations? Okay, yep. And I think that answers the other question I kind of missed a little bit is the, the burner is built on XDAI. So if we think of the properties of XDAI first, we've got fast transactions, we've got cheap transactions, and we've got reliable network, but then there's also the low cognitive overhead there, right? It's pinned to the dollar. So if I send my mom five X dies, she knows that that's $5. And she understands that she doesn't have to do any cognitive, you know, exchanging there. But then on top of all of that, a burner wallet takes that quick ephemeral burner network and makes a burner wallet right in the browser. So we take the private key and we generate it for you. You, you just go to xdai.io, xdai.io, and you'll land there and you'll get a wallet. It'll just generate one for you right, right on the fly. And so, and, and it's kind of like a mobile first, it works on a desktop, but it's more of a mobile first. So if you pull up Safari on your phone, type in xdai.io, you'll have a wallet. It'll just automatically generate you a key pair. It'll keep that key pair in local storage, and then it'll use that key pair to sign messages and send them quickly over uh, xdai. So it's kind of like this, thinking of like burner phones, right? This ephemeral phone that you use for a couple of things and then toss. A burner wallet is the same idea. You just have this key pair that lives in a browser that lets you quickly move funds back and forth. But at the end of the day, you should sweep that to colder storage. So uh, I have security concerns with that later. Of course. Um, as, 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 that's, it's somewhat of, it's a trade-off, right? So like they're making something that's supposed to be an easy on-ramp, low cognitive overhead and submit to be thrown away or, or like one to a few time use, right? And so the problems you have with storing private keys in local storage are somewhat okay if it's for, for the particular use case. It's when you have people who are reusing these things for a long period of time and maybe trying to port them over to other things or, or maybe even like upload or trying to use a private key from a different wallet in XDAI. If you, like, how, do you, how do you mitigate these issues or how do you feel about it? Well, uh, we started by naming it Burner, right? Make it something that's kind of scary. So people who get it know that it's going to be pretty ephemeral. We, we try to um, make it very clear that this is, this is a private key that's in local storage. But, but to speak to the why it is, is more like the onboarding stuff, right? When we talk about onboarding, we talk about usability, and we talk about giving people a quick, easy experience. We can't be maximalists about security and decentralization. We have to kind of back off a little bit. We have to find a, a little bit faster network. We have to make some some um, some changes in terms of security to get them on and let them use it quickly with small amounts of money, right? Ephemeral to cash, or uh, it, it's basically um, it's like it's analogous to cash. You use that quickly, but you don't carry around thousands of dollars in your pocket, right? So we get people using cash, we get people understanding it, using it quickly, but then we kind of start educating them about decentralization and about security. And we kind of try to move them towards something that's a, a better option. So you're talking a lot about onboarding here, but I'm, I'm starting off with the question, like, how do I get some XDAI? 
So from what you said earlier, just to kind of parrot what you said earlier, because I'm not sure if I completely got it, but I think I did, is that basically the process for XDAI is that you have DAI already on main chain in the ERC-20 contract, um, and then you lock that DAI into another contract, which enables you to spend XDAI on a different chain, yep. which is basically, I mean, I guess it's like an HTLC. Um, uh, I, I would assume it's pretty similar to that uh, hash time lock contract. Um, because um, you would want that to release at some point and not just indefinitely store there or something like that. Um, so it's 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 kind of a, a known, I would assume that's how it goes. You're shaking your head, so I, I, I guess that's right. Yeah, it's like locked in terms of um, the, the bridge basically controls the lock. Mm -hmm. So it's locked and that signals to the bridge that they can mint, and mm -hmm. that's going to remain locked until it's burned back. It, once the X die is burned on the other side, then it'll unlock the die on the main net. So the bridge is watching both sides. And as you burn the X die, the bridge says, okay, this guy just burned X die. Yeah. Let's send him back his die. Right, right, right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like that makes sense to me. Um it's it's a it's a pretty common technique these days. Um the um the thing that they kind of like you talk about the onboarding process and, and before we even get too much into like the the, the burner details, because there's a lot there. Um let's talk about the onboarding process. So you're talking about people actually starting to use this burner. But how am I going to use the burner if I don't have die? And then how does this like get around that problem? Or how is that actually like not solving the already is the issue you brought up earlier of you know, getting grandma involved in what we're doing with as little friction as possible and with as little cognitive overhead um, that she, you know that she has to cope with? Yep, exactly. So I, I think that we still. In the, in the long run, we can do everything we, we want with this cool technology with, with burner wallets and meta transactions, but we still hit the hard stop of ramps, right? On ramps are still tough and it's basically laws, right? So to to sort of, um, for, for events, like when at East Denver, we had this, we had like a solid coin and we had an account on a coin or or the cypherpunk speakeasy events that I held or uh, this the emoji coin exchange game that I ran. Basically what happens is you get a paper wallet from me and in that paper wallet is a QR code. You scan the QR code and it's basically a wallet already loaded up with tokens and you can use those tokens to send and receive. Now, on the other side of this, just like getting in, if you go to xdai.io, you can go into the exchange, you can send it ETH, you can send it DAI, but we're also working on wire. So you could just throw in a debit card, put put up to $25 with very little KYC. And then, and that's really what, what we want right like we don't want you to put thousands of dollars in that so we don't want to wrestle with a ton of kyc we want to find a, a kyc option that allows you to just get a small amount of money in as quick as possible and that fits the burner you know mo model very well so for instance you like uh like say you go to an event you go to a meetup go to something and someone's like oh i don't have a wallet it's like oh no problem get, get a burner wallet do what you need to do while you're here and if you'd like to hold on to whatever you do here then move it to something else or Yep, exactly. You, you well, learn in the process, but it's a way to just say, like, here's a almost zero complication way of getting started, working within the event or thing that you're doing and the people you're working with at that time. And then when you have some free time, you can move it to the place it needs to be. Yep, exactly. We, we kind of shortcut them into the process with a small amount of money and let them use it for a little bit. And that just gets them on board and understanding how the process works. And when they get home, the best idea is to kind of cool those funds off to the mainnet and, and kind of learn more about the process and better security and better uh, decentralization. 
something you you like you recently released um, that I that I really enjoyed was uh, the implementation of Gnosis Safe within the Burner Wallet. So that this kind of gives you two things. It gives you um, collaborative access to a wallet amongst many people, so you can have a pool, uh, and then allow maybe short-term usage of maybe potentially high security risk usage to a to a wallet that someone has, or um, the ability to easily move those funds somewhere else from your burner wallet. Yeah, exactly. The the Gnosis Safe integration has a couple of like there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to do that. One is permanence, uh, uh, but another one is just like showing that there are these projects like the Gnosis Safe that I think should have way more users than they have right now, and we should try to do a better job of like getting people into those and using them. So I figured if we could put it on XDAI and we can give them a very simple interface, I could put, you know, five, 10, $15 in a Gnosis safe and experience it. That might help to onboard them farther down the line into like a mainnet Gnosis safe. So they understood what was going on. I mean, there's but, another aspect of that too. And that's just like, like I work for status, seeing you use it and then having the visceral experience of seeing it work across multiple people within the burner wallet quickly is like pushes, uh, like the, the, the larger wallet creators or the, like, like, the, like, the, the wallet you would then move your burner funds to creators to then implement these same features. You're kind of like a stepping stone of like new features, uh, new ways of using things, things that people may want to implement but aren't, but aren't really sure about because maybe they don't understand it properly. Maybe they haven't been exposed to it. Um, and you, not only do you give them like the, the visual experience of how it works and what it could be used for, but also um, the code. You, you basically implement it and people can see how it's implemented so they can then translate that into how things are done within their own wallet. Yeah, I think it's like a, a skill of mine of finding like the minimum viable product, right? Like carving <laughs> out as much as I can and making it as simple as possible and kind of taking away some of there, there's, you know, some really heady technology there, but how do we kind of hide that away and give it just, just exactly what you need and no more. And that's kind of what we do with the Gnosis safe too. You could, you could hit one button, you just have a Gnosis safe in five seconds. You can hit another button to deposit. You can hit another button to withdraw and then one final button to add other owners. And that's basically it, right? And and the owners are, instead of an, an M of N wallet, it's a one of N. So as I add other owners, each one of those owners has full control of the wallet. So you're, you're, if I have $15, I can drop it into a Gnosis safe and I can top in my MetaMask on my laptop. So then if I completely lose my phone, I can always just pull up my laptop and pull those funds out of the safe. That makes sense. It sounds to me like you're building basically, it feels like the more like UI primitives, if that makes sense. But in a, in a weird way, like a UI primitive right now is where you have like a, a search select, you know, you have a, a search, you type in and then a dropdown appears. Like that's kind of like a UI primitive an accordion is a UI primitive, but you're building more like user UX primitives, it feels like, with these with the, like the burner wallet, which is like a new paradigm of how to design software. Um, in that if you can genericize these UX primitives significantly enough, you can interact with fat protocols in a much smoother and simpler and almost um, rote way so that people don't have to worry about, is, am I doing this right? Or are people going to understand this? Is this what people intuitively would get? Um, and I, I think that this is starting in that direction. I don't think it's quite there yet. Um, I still think you're ironing out those details, but you're building basically UX primitives, which is a very unusual concept that I don't think I've seen anywhere before. So, um, I mean, besides maybe a wizard, a wizard is an example of a UX primitive, right? You know, you have this wizard, next button, back, you know, people know what a wizard is. We also know what the consequences of wizard are and that people will bail out in the middle of it, but, you know, people know what these things are. 
and we don't have those kind of paradigm or you know the the design principles or or anything to actually build these out and we definitely don't have anybody building libraries around that and so i, I find that to be a very compelling that's probably why one of the things i find most compelling about the burner wallet for instance the like thing that, that huh sorry <laughs> I, I yeah that's it's really like i i guess i haven't viewed it from that angle but yeah i really like that it's like a sandbox or almost like a test wallet to get these primitives like figured out and then also like put it in the hands of people and see how they use it see how they really interact right. with it ahead of a big wallet like status having to come in and put these primitives in there let's get it in the hands of some people and see what works and what doesn't i really so, like that yeah i mean we we should fund this somebody out there who's <laughs> listening to this should fund him to do this full time and just build UX primitives. Not just some time, lots of yeah, people. <laughs> lots of people. Yeah, just fund fund this guy so he can build just UX primitives all day long, so we could solve this. And because he's doing it for fun anyway, so might as well let him make a career out of it. But anyway, um, so uh, no, that's really cool. I like that. I actually have some very specific, uh, some deep, like I have some real questions about your choice of local storage, though. <laughs> Let's um, do it. Because it's it's not fucking secure man like there's no way like, and i know that this is meant to be thrown away but at the same time it's also susceptible to attacks in the middle of of action um and that local storage is genuinely not secure it's 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 like if somebody has a bad browser plugin somebody installs the wrong metamask it's not actually metamask but it's fake metamask and then these burner wallets become useful um and people are using them and they're all over the place um you know, it, to me, it it's almost seems like uh, not the right way to do things, but I'm not really sure what the right way to do things is, like, off the top of my head. Um, maybe you have some comments on that. Like, one of the things I'm thinking is, like, why can't we just store things? Like, there's, it's the ability to store things in IPFS is becoming easier. We could just, on the fly, encrypt a private key stored in IPFS and then allow them to pull it down at any point without actually having to store it in local storage at any, any time. And using... Uh, I mean, obviously passwords aren't very secure. We want to get away from them, but for a burner purpose, that's fine. Like we could still like that. Those are kind of like the way my mind goes. Why did you choose local storage other than convenience? Like, is there, yeah. am I missing something? Is there more to this than I thought or? No, simplicity, I think is where it starts. I think like the, the, just the raw simplicity of having it there and the ease of use is, is a good place to start. I, I think that you're, you're definitely onto something with let's, let's, let's encrypt it and throw it in IPFS, but if you're encrypting it and you're putting it in IPFS, you're encrypting it with some kind of password. So that means there's a UX boundary right there. And we're asking people for a password. They need to remember that password. They lose their funds if they don't. That's a whole new rabbit hole to go down where let's let's make it as simple as possible right now and make it basically analogous to cash. It's totally okay to, to have 10 bucks in something that you'll throw away. Go ahead, yeah. Or put a browser sniffer in there and <laughs> encrypt right. it encrypt it using information that's just stored inside your browser since it's a burner anyway it's not meant to be permanent um use use information about your system or your browser or, or, or your environment that's natural to the environment to actually encrypt it before it's sent up but even then i guess that would also still not solve the problem i talked about earlier which is you know if somebody has access to that they also have access you know to local storage they also have access to that so there's a lot of yeah. things here uh it's so guess... it's so crazy the possibilities this opens up with that's kind of what i'm like i like about this so yeah it's uh there's a lot of things you could do but like like you said getting it out in the hands of people with a few dollars and an event that's thrown away is is probably okay now a matter of like that stuff sits in, in your browser history for a long time 
So say someone does this, that the usage of the notes of safe gets popular, then you just have these kind of like entry entry points into whatever safe there is just sitting in someone's someone's device basically forever. So eventually there probably would need to be something like that. But like, it, it's one of those things. It's like so many options, like, and it's a matter of time. It's just a matter of like what you decide to do. Uh, and I, I, I would almost argue that for now, based on its use case, getting, getting, trying these things out, doing these kind of, I guess, UX primitives, as Colin puts it into people's hands is more important than introducing the UX burdens. Um, or at least too yeah, many, so. too many UX burdens. Yeah, I think we want a sandbox to be able to play around in. And you know, I've, I've lost ten dollars in burner wallets before. Like we try to make it as obvious as possible that people will lose money. It's called a burner wallet. Don't put a lot of money in there. It's more of a UX education. It's more like a user education issue as opposed to yep. um, well, fixing the issues, fixing the problem. So ed- education by getting it into someone's hands, and when they explain, when they understand, like, oh, this is real money. It gets me something in real life. What based on the event that I'm in they are probably going to be more receptive to actually securing funds and how they work and so on and so forth. Yeah. The, the theory is get, get it into their hands first and let them have that exciting moment, right? You, if you, if you have an exciting moment or you play a game and you earn something within the ecosystem, you create a dialogue behind this username, you're much more likely to then move to the next stage of being educated about a seed phrase or security. If you, you have to download a wallet, and you get hit with having to write down a 12 word seed phrase up front just to hold $5, you're gonna lose a lot of people. But that stuff is very, very necessary once it's more than just $5. So you have to kind of maybe start them with the $5, get the magic moment to happen, then run the education angle, then go with security and decentralization. But it might be worthwhile to not to like exclude the ability to export the private key within the burner wallet. So like you can't, you can't take it somewhere else. It's, it, it has yeah. to be a burner. It's, it's, an, it's buried in the advanced section to go get that, <laughs> that private key. People really got to play. I don't want to like disable people from doing yeah, stuff. Right? It's, like, it's, I'm it's trying a to give them the tools. Like it's in terms of the burner, I'm thinking that it's, we're talking about small amounts of funds. And because it's small amounts of funds, I want to give you a great user experience, but also a very powerful tool to do whatever the heck you want with. Just dang it, this is small amounts of money and we need to be clear about that with everyone. Yeah. Caution, caution, How do I caution. Make it sound, yeah, even scarier than burner wallet. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, what, what do you, where do you see it going? Like, what do you, what do you want to happen with this? Like, how, what's the, what's the, what's the, you know, five-year vision of the burner wallet? What we're seeing is beyond just sending and receiving, um, the first the first new thing that kind of emerged out of the burner wallet is like a pop-up POS system. You can hit the request button. You can say, I want to take $5 for hot dogs and it'll just give you a QR code that you can display in the window. So now we've got like pop-up POS systems. We used it at places like ETH Denver, food trucks, meetups. But then on top of that, there's like this platform that sort of happens. It's kind of like this, this scaffolding for instant onboarding. So I was asked to speak at a local university and talk about UX and, and the space and what's going on right now. And I was like, well, I'm gonna have you know 50 students eyeballs. I'm gonna do something more. I'm gonna you know make some paper wallets. I'm gonna make a game. So with with just an afternoon of work, I built a small little emoji coin that's like a shit coin trading game. 
uh, emoji coined out exchange is what I called it, but just a, a simple little game built on top of a burner. So that means when you open it up, there's no seed phrase, there's no download, it drops you straight into the wallet, but then on top of the wallet is this game. So the students, I just handed out paper wallets to 50 students and immediately 80% of them opened it up and scanned that QR code and had the game on their phone right away. No, no onboarding at all. It was just instantly into the game. They could buy and sell these emojis. Basically, I gave everybody $5 in tokens and they could off ramp it to Ethereum if they want, or they could play and up their winnings to like $50 or something like that. Like I incentivized them because I wanted to see what the onboarding would look like. And it was great. It was like, 80% uh, of them started using it right away and they used it like constantly for 24 hours until I emptied the bank. So, and, and you could just hit buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. There was no block times. I mean, there, there are, but they're fast. Like I did a good job of making the UX very smooth. So I think to answer the question, I think it's what can we do next with this platform where people can kind of instantly start interacting with the blockchain and not even really know it. And I think that games and apps are just going to be a great way to get people in and get them using it with small amounts, of, uh, small amounts of cash or just small amounts of interaction and dialogue. And then kind of, again, then moving them to that that education line and getting them learning about kind of the ethos of decentralization and what's next with with security and, and the steps to, to go to actually get into the space. Yeah, yeah. I, I I say something similar to that constantly on the on the flagship show, the network. Um, and that's like most of the time, in order to get people to do something, you have to give them a reason to do it. Uh, so like people aren't just gonna adopt into blockchain because it's they, they have the same ideology as we do or they love the technology or they want to they want to do something it's like no there's an app they want to use and so they 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 adopt the necessary technology to use the app and like, a, like an example of this was um i never bought a console or at least an xbox until i saw my friends playing halo i was like oh shit okay i gotta go buy an xbox right because I, I have to play this game and that was the reason why a lot of people bought Xboxes was specifically to play that game. They even bundled it together because they knew it. And that's going to be the same case with adoption of, of this technology. There needs to be some app that people need to get their hands on so that they go out and adopt the technology to play that thing. And I think experiments in this with things like Burner Wallet allow us to kind of make that um, adoption period a little easier because everything is interlinked. And so you can have a game that's really easy to use, easy easy access, gets them gets them hooked, gets them fun. And then when they're done with the game, they say, "Well, I want to keep this. I want I want to play again. I need I need permanence. I want to take my assets that I've earned through this game and move them onto something else." And that's when they have to figure out how to like use a regular wallet, move them to a different game, um, understand how to secure them if they lose their phone and things like that. And that's when like when they have a a, a foot in the door they've already put their put their toe in the water or whatever stupid analogy you want to you want to use <laughs> then, then they start learning otherwise they're just like why do i give a shit right exactly so where's this, so where's this all going with the burner wallet is what you just kind of answered but where's this all going with you so like you're not only going to be doing the burner wallet forever i mean obviously you're probably going to explore that to the point where you're tired of it and you want to move on to something else I'm pretty sure you're going to move on to something in a similar direction because it seems to be what you're passionate about and good at. Um, and I could sense your enthusiasm about the field. What um, What is the key problem areas that you think you might be able to help with next? What's your personal roadmap? So, yeah, I, I think that like onboarding is really important to me. I think that like my my baseline kind of drive is is onboarding and 
not just onboarding users, but onboarding developers, right? Like I'd like to have a really clean, cool tech stack where someone could, someone from Hacker News just sees that it's really easy to build dApps. They click in and they start building these games right on top of this, this tech stack and this, this burner modules kind of scaffolding. So I'd like to bring more developers into the space and then I'd like to give them the tools to bring more users into the space. And I think that like onboarding and, and usability is sort of my, my niche. I think that like I'm I'm not probably the best person to be doing like E2.0 heady stuff. I'm kind of more of an everyman that kind of gets how to use things and how things break down and where things are too technical. And, and I can kind of figure out how to make them, you know, usable, but also make the tools usable so then someone else can come along and, and build things that are also going to drive onboarding and i think that that's my my passion and 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 it's it's not just people using it but like i also have like this kind of like empathetic piece to my my venn diagram of what i love where i love seeing people play my game and like that have that magic moment of of oh my gosh either this 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 thing worked or i just accomplished this really cool thing in the game or something like that so i, I kind of have like the technology the creativity creativity but then like the empathy is there too and I, I love seeing people use the product and, and enjoy it well you've got a wide area to move in it's like a it's like one you have a lot of obstacles to get forth but it seems as though you're making quality steps towards actually helping adoption especially like just for instance I've, I've given talks I've talked about adoption at, at universities and I've just had a blank a bunch of blank stares on kids' faces because I didn't have something like that game for them to interact with and get it. And when they, when they would ask questions at the end, the types of questions and the things that they asked and how they asked it made me made me feel as though I didn't do a very good job of explaining the concepts. And, and, yeah, and so yeah, like that's tough. The, the the visceral feeling of having it in their hands is it's a really really big thing, especially when like people who will probably never get it need to try and understand. Like my my mother and my grandmother. They're just not gonna. I've tried to. I've tried on ramping them multiple times. It's it's just got to the point where okay, I'm gonna manage your funds. It's, if you want something, I'm just gonna do it because you've you've lost multiple wallets already. I think that yeah, Corey, you work at Status. It's Status is the example I use for why burner wallets. So so I, I have this like line of this this narrative that's basically that I don't think that burner wallet will be a thing in five years burner wallet capital B I think it's more like lowercase b right it's not it's not a, it's not a proper noun it's more of a an idea or a mechanism that everyone should be using to onboard people onto their product the reason why your your mom or grandma is failing is because of all the like unnecessary clunky steps to get to the end I think that even I use status as an, as an example all the time when, when I talk about this stuff, there should be a status burner basically. And I don't think we'll call it a burner, right? We'll call it an instant, an instant status wallet or a, a status uh, web wallet or something like that. But basically you take whatever your product is over in web three land that has, you know, a high barrier to entry and you take some of the core functionality of it and you put it in a very accessible, very easy to use piece and you let someone play around with it first and then kind of this is kind of fitting the theme of, yeah. of the whole uh, talk so far basically you get them kind of hooked and get them educated toward toward understanding it but they don't have a ton of buy-in but just enough to kind of move them to that next stage of now download the app now worry about the 12 word seed phrase and you know why you need to do that now because you need to protect the stuff that you've already kind of built up so is that what you feel? One, I, I wholly agree. 
mean, I, we've just recently reworked our onboarding. So v, like v, V1 of status is going to have a whole new onboarding experience. And we've tried to minimize that and made it, make it as easy as possible. But like you said, there's still steps to get get through just to get started. And people have to worry about things just to get started. Even if we try to minimize that to the most, like at, at, at most, um, probably because I'm, I'm a security freak and I want to make sure that people don't lose their shit because that's what happens. It has happened in the past. Um, but uh, like, is that, is that where you see like the main maybe glaring issue across the ecosystem right now? Um, well, I know like it was a- an issue for me personally, like getting into it was, was daunting. And I've been a developer for almost two decades at the time. Um, it's, it, it's, it's not something that I think a lot of people, um, and, uh, intuitively understand even from a, a technical background and then like, you know, uh, trying to get it working for the general audience, the GPPs, as you guys would put it is, is been the gripe you've had since you've started the show. I mean, that's why you came up with the topic of the GPP or I'm sorry. Uh, what is it? What does it stand for? General, general purpose person, general purpose person. So the general purpose person is going to have a very difficult time um, understanding just the fundamentals. And so it needs to be as transparent as possible. I think that's, I think it's right. Uh, but this kind of like brings me back to the, the thing you said earlier, if you don't mind, um, is uh, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, you want developer onboarding to be smoother as well. And that, that's a very important part. Um, what do you think of some of the existing technologies that are out there? Have you looked at Embark? Um, uh, you know, you've mentioned Truffle already. Have you looked at their the uh, alternatives, which are basically in the same vein? Like, you know, there's Waffle and, and Doppelganger, and then there's um, what, what is yeah. all kinds of weird naming. naming yeah, like, what, what what do you <laughs> what do you see them doing right? What do you see them doing wrong? And what were your experiences like? Like 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 I was just mentioning when I first started, it was kind of like okay, I, I get it from a, a really high level, but like the nitty gritty details are kind of a pain. Um, like what was, what do you feel like you can abstract away from that? Like, what do you think you can do better? Yeah, that's so, so I have to admit that I haven't used uh, Truffle, uh, Embark, Waffle enough to be able to really, like basically I got in, I didn't like what I saw and I made my own and I've kind of been sticking to that since then. <laughs> so I think that that I, I can't give like a really insightful answer on why those don't work. I've heard great things about them, uh, specifically Embark. I've heard great things about them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. They've changed a whole lot. Like Embark, when I first used it, was yeah. hard to use, but now Bark it's actually quite pretty, nice. Pretty nuts. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. So, so for me though, I would say that to answer that question without being able to have a lot of the other insight, I would say that why I use my stack and what particularly is good about it is basically everything's there for me, ready to go. I, I can write a contract and I can also add a button over in my, my UI in, in like the first two minutes of getting in, right? I run one command and I have everything up and running. And then I can kind of like just start writing the smart contract, but at the same time, I can kind of iterate on the UI. And those two things kind of working in symphony help me like just crush projects because I can quickly get through things where it's like, I, I don't know, like, can I pass an array of structs right now? The best way for me to figure out is just have a button over here that tries to do it over here and then get feedback and kind of iterate on that. So I think that like getting everything out of the way, but having the tools ready to go and making it as just stupid simple as possible. So someone can just get in and build the shit they want to build without having to wrestle with a lot of the uh, kind of overhead. And one of the problems I've I've run into that that you know we're just the biggest issue I think I've had with anything dealing with this is debugging. 
Yeah. Um, oh, especially yeah. the smart contract. Like, what the fuck is going on here? Why is this looks like it should work? Why is this working on my test net? Why is this working on uh, uh, on Rinkaby? And why is it not working on the live? Like, what is going on here? Like, what's the difference? What am I missing? What's the discrepancy? What's the issue here? Like, what's off by one? And like, yeah. I don't, I don't. It's it's really difficult to like. To like learn what these bugs and these errors mean because typically they mean six or seven different things. Um, what have you done to streamline that debugging process? I, yeah, so I, to kind of cover all this, uh, the the debugging stuff. So there was a tweet out there that was like, "What does the development environment need?" Like, and in the responses of the tweet, like debugging is like every other one. Right? <laughs> we, we need we need better debugging, and that's slowly coming together. But I, so I I don't like. You know, I, I think what you would have to basically build is is an, a Solidity interpreter. You'd have to build a new interpreter, and then you have to have better debugging there. And I'm like, I'm not the smartest guy to do that. But to hint at some other stuff, the first thing I do when it fails, I increase the gas limit. <laughs> and when you said when you said off by one, someone else put out a tweet that I loved. The new off by one is off by ten to the power of eighteen, which is like such a funny kind of smart contract nerdy thing. But I love it. What an so, inside yeah, joke. <laughs> yeah, inside joke, guys. Hardy hard. <laughs> oh, man. I got, but what? yes, debugging. We need better debugging. And I think that a lot of people are getting better than that. I, I Better at that. I bet we see, I, if not, it's if it's not already in, I bet it's in a lot of uh, packages very soon. What's your, like, I, I, how, can you just explain a little bit how, like, Clevis and Dapparatus actually work. Like what, like what the what the two tools actually do, and how they work together, so that so that developers who are interested can start to look at them and understand them from like a conceptual standpoint, how they fit into the stack of the developer experience. And I know you haven't touched these tools in a while, but differentiate them a little bit from what your experience yep. was. Uh, with like sure. Truffle oh, and, oh, and okay. Web3 yeah. and... Well, with Treffle, I got in and I had basically Treffle allowed me to compile contracts, and it it created. It created these artifacts and there was this migration contract. And at the same time, I'm still like learning how to like send transactions. And it was just like, what the hell is all this stuff? So so then I I mean like I learned now what it is and how it works and why it is it's there, but it was confusing as a first-time developer to even know what was going on there. Like why why am I am I migrating these contracts each time? Like what am I upgrading? Like what what is causing this? So so I tried to like kind of start from scratch. And and Clevis is basically just a, a nice abstraction that's built on top of the Soul C compiler. It, it has it's there's a just a ton of JavaScript to clean things up for you. So you can, you know, Clevis create your contract. And then it gives you the scaffolding of a smart contract. And you you say, okay, I'm gonna start writing my contract. Now you just do Clevis compile. And when you do that, it creates the bytecode, but it also creates uh so for instance, say I have a function there that's like set name. If if when I compile that, Clevis detects that and then creates a script to run set name anytime I want. So then I can interact with my smart contract with Clevis. So Clevis gives me the ability to compile, deploy, and test, but also to kind of like poke at my contracts and then actually create some orchestration. One of my games, Galeas, has like 40 different contracts and you have to make all these smart contract calls once you deploy it. So Clevis kind of handles not just testing, but orchestration. And then finally, it injects those contracts into Dapparatus. And Dapparatus is just a set of React components that I found myself using over and over again. I would go to a hackathon and, damn it, I'm building an event parser again. Damn it, I'm building a smart contract loader again. Why am I doing this? So I would took all those from all of my early projects, put them into a nice React 
contract or a React component library. So you, you over on the Clevis side, you create the contract, you compile it, you deploy it, you poke at it a little bit to make sure it does what you need from the command line. And then you publish it over to the Dapparatus side. And then it's already, it's everything's loaded in already. Everything's ready to go for you already. And within Dapparatus, you just say, okay, I want to make a transaction, which is just like TX function. And in that function, you pass it this contract dot the function I want to run on it. And when you're done, here's the callback I want you to give me back. Just like very, very simple stuff. Contract is already loaded. It figures out gas price for you. It does all the stuff that you need to do for you. And then if you need to, you can dig in and be more technical with it. But at first, it kind of abstracts it all away from you so you can focus on it, just building the dApp. Fucking thank you. Where I'm going to go play with this later. <laughs> <Where>? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's the same. It's almost the same situation um, that we talked about for the on-ramping people into wallet experience, but on-ramping people into the developer experience, right? Like Truffle and Embark are huge frameworks that allow you to do a lot of complicated things, um, and some of the other ones are even like used by enterprises that are like they're 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 complicated. You can do a bunch of cool stuff, but maybe um, getting started with them is it's like you know doing too much for people who are just trying to get their feet wet. And this may be for the same same experience of like, I'm a developer, I don't know what the hell is going on. How do I get started? What are some simple components I can use into my React app? Because almost everyone uses React nowadays. You know, and I think that's a it's, a, it's a similar type analogy of getting developers started. Both Truffle and Embark both have like Truffle in it, Embark in it, you know, Create demo contract, create demo so that give you like a, a scaffolding of something simple. But there's still stuff to learn, like there's like a, a barrier to entry um, that you need to do in order to start doing anything that's relatively complicated. Yep, and I mean I'll agree that probably they're way more powerful and they're probably better. Uh, my stuff is just kind of just smaller and more focused. Well, it could one, be just thing... as good or better. I don't know. I've never yeah. used them so. Smaller. The point is you can build a dApp quickly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that that's, that's important, right? Especially for people who yeah. are just trying to get their feet wet or, or people who just want to want to want to have kind of quick turnover of certain things because um, large projects isn't necessarily the like a good thing. Like a lot, a lot of these components or primitives in Ethereum, I think, uh, who was it a long time ago, kind of coined the term like crypto, crypto economic primitives. Like these, these atomistic social scenarios or social interactions don't need to be massive projects. They just need to, they need to be just enough that you can probably secure them and test them appropriately, and then that's it. Like, and because a lot of the power in this whole ecosystem, the synergy across multiple different use cases or, or components or crypto economic primitives or whatever the hell you want to call it, right? And you don't, you don't need massive frameworks to build something like that. You just need to make sure the thing that you built works well. Well, the depths yeah, it's, it's like a, go ahead. The depths themselves. I mean, I think people are trying to decentralize a little too much right now. Um, you know, we're really looking at a core functionality that needs to be trustless, and, and everything else doesn't really need that. You know, I mean, payments, pretty much exchange, anything that does a transfer, that's the trustless part. Everything else, you know, I mean, there's no real necessity. You can integrate these parts into those apps. It I'm not depends. saying like everything is like that. I mean, I'm sure there's use cases that are that are that that could be completely decentralized, blah blah blah, and and there are, but um, for right now, I don't th see that as being necessary. You know, uh, so uh, it's just something that's drop in, drop in user experience. You know, drop in code that allows you to build these kind of user experiences and integrate them with your existing contracts. That'd be fantastic. Um, 
Yeah, I think that a theme here is just like this this quick iteration process, right? Yes. We we need to kind of be able to play around with things and not go into some, you know, dark siloed place for three months and then pop up and expect to like have an ICO on this thing. You need to be able to iterate quickly, and I think this tool set does that for you. That's great. So what what um what uh uh everybody has like a a learning list, things they want to learn, things they haven't gotten to, and things they're they're kind of excited to see released. What's what's on yours? So yeah, I, I think I need to do a better job of understanding some of the layer two solutions. I need to do a, a better job of understanding plasma, understanding state channels. I, I need to, basically I need to understand ETH 2.0 better, right? Like the beacon chain and the shards and how does cross shard communication work and how, how am I gonna stake eventually? A lot of that stuff is kind of in a blind spot for me, but I, I need to learn it and I need to learn it in a way that I can teach it. Step one, listen to all of our shows. All right, great. <laughs> we're actually we're actually planning we covered a, uh, all of that. We're planning an ETH awesome. 2.0 roundtable um, with a lot of the, the implementers um, to ask kind of different questions about different like what what makes the implementations different, what makes them the same, thoughts and experiences on the roadmap of things, so on and so forth. So that, that'll be coming in the near future. But like yeah, that's what we try. That's the goal of this show, at least, is to try and suss out a, like the surface level and slightly below surface level details of a lot of these things that people who are in the space care about, but may not have the time to like stay on top of. I wish I could write more assembly too. More like assembly and smart contracts, <laughs> what right? Does I, I, see, I see someone's contract and it's like all assembly and it's, I just like black out, man. It's so cool, but I, I'm just not that good at it and I need to get better at it. Yeah, definitely. So what, um, what, what, products or things are you excited uh, that are coming out uh, for uh, in, in the space at the moment? You know, like all the DAOs, like the, this, like Amin said, 2019 is the year of the DAO. And I, I'm trying to make games that are kind of DAO based. I have this new game in mind that's kind of like this, this sort of open world that starts with a few mechanics and then you use a DAO to kind of vote in new mechanics and try to get to some victory condition. and. But, but in terms of products outside of stuff that, that I'm looking at right now, uh, so the DAOs are one. I, I like the Connects Networks guys, like uh, Arjun, Arjun's building a really cool payment network. I think that there's gonna be some really cool stuff on layer two. Um, you know, the stuff that Gnosis is doing, I'm, Gnosis is doing, I always try to keep a, a close eye on. Um, I don't know. What, so what I else? think, it's, what I think it's interesting that like uh, Ethereum guys are really Ethereum people. Like they, they focus on the Ethereum space almost entirely. And I, I'm saying this because I was one exactly in that boat. Um, but like the more I get into like this podcast, especially, I notice there's a lot of cool and interesting technologies that are just outside of the Ethereum space. Talk and yeah, you know, I mean, Cosmos is very yep. impressive. Um, Definity has so much potential. If it, if they, I don't know. So it's not. I have not played with it. I nobody's messed with it. You know, if it works the way they say it'll work, holy crap, that is world changing. Um, My, Ava, Ava, very excited about that kind of stuff. Avalanche. I don't, yeah, I don't know that one. That's Emin yeah, Gunsir's. That's Emin Gunsir's. Um, so we we haven't recorded him yet, but we plan on recording him. We might. We're not sure if we'll release this first or after, but um, the uh, Emin's Emin's. Uh, Evan's got a, a protocol that's kind of more like a gossip network than anything, but it reaches consensus through probability um, and a high probability over time and a very quick uh, resolution of that. So it's very interesting stuff. That's all layer one. Um, I, I just think it's um, you know interesting to see all the work that's going into Internet of Blockchain style technology, um, you know, just to see if that actually goes anywhere. Interledger projects, stuff like that. 
um, also kind of interests me. It, there's a lot of stuff out there. And I'm kind of want to see people to start crossing lanes a little um, just in that, in that respect. And I was kind of interested to see if there's anything in that, that might interest you, but I was just kind of asking yeah, to see. I, uh, that's how I learned too, is like, I asked the question and then <laughs> I, I get more information. So um, that's why, that's why we do the podcast. But yeah. I do need to do a better job of kind of exploring outside of it. I've kind of been pretty heads down with this stuff. My, my, one of my biggest problems is uh, all this tooling that I've built is basically EVM compatible. So when someone drops a new chain on me, the first thing I say is, is it EVM compatible? Okay, I'll build a burner wallet for it this afternoon, yeah. right? But if not, I, I am kind of in the dark a little bit and I have to go up that, that learning curve for everyone. Well, that's why a lot of people did EVM compatible chains so they can then have an easy migration of people from Ethereum or, uh, or the tools built therein uh, on theirs, like they could, they could, they could take a lot of it and easily port it. Whereas if you do something completely different, although it may be technologically uh, superior, it's very difficult in terms of developer tooling, on ramping, developer experience, all these things that we built in the Ethereum ecosystem, which makes Ethereum what it is. It's, it may not be a superior technology in the future. Now, who knows? But it has most of the people, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, and. Again, like whatever this, whatever these new spot, like Cosmos or Polkadot or whatever, like all these new uh, chains and ideas that are coming out are going to have to tackle these same problems. They're going to need to make their dev toolkit better and better for users to use. And they're going to have to do these same onboarding schemes where let's make these tools as easy as possible to use and let people get directly to building an app on the platform and not have to wrestle with, you know, the nomenclature of everything. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that's a great way to wrap up the episode. Um, are there any questions that uh, you wish we would have asked you or something you would like to talk about that we didn't get around to? No, I, th I think you guys hit it. I, I um, Like you said, get, getting funded by the ecosystem would be so awesome. Pay I this man, that, uh, people. Yeah, I'll try to try to get like a, like, so I've been doing uh, research at Gitcoin. I've been the director of research at Gitcoin. And I think the Gitcoin grant system is wonderful. So I think that check that out and maybe I could even make, make my living off of actually having a grant from the community. We'll see how that works. Well, we'll, we'll help, awesome. we'll help push you. you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> thanks guys yeah so how do people reach you how do people how do people pay you where do they go how do they how do they get a hold of you uh, well i'm austin griffith so at austin griffith basically anywhere twitter if you google austin griffith and burner wallet you'll find me or austin griffith ethereum uh there there is like i said a a, a gitcoin grant for the burner wallet um yeah I, I think that like i have a ton of medium articles i have a youtube channel i have a twitter just austin griffith ethereum austin griffith meta transactions austin griffith burner wallet you'll find me hey guys check the show notes like we put these put all these links in the show notes so um we'll be sure to include everything that you you just mentioned in the show notes so that people can reach you and check out what you what you uh what you're doing and um check out your videos and, and everything so it's it's yeah thank, thank you a lot for your work i really appreciate it we'll we'll be sure to include all that information there. Corey and Colin, thank you for having me on. This has been wonderful. This is a great chat. Yep, and we'll uh, we'll see you around. You going to DEF CON? I hope so. I've got a baby due right around then, so I don't know that's if a, the That's a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, then we'll see you around some other place. I, I, awesome. I'm sure of it. Let's have a beer. Yeah. All right, see you guys. Thank you.